Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. And this is episode six, the justice of Winky Von Browneye. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not even a medical disorder for real. I know. <laughs> Winky Von Browneye is a serious fucking medical disorder. No, I think it's a hygiene problem. <laughs> <laughs> that also does not help, but <laughs> you have any idea how hard it is to come up with new justice-related fucking... <laughs> Uh, you you are the maestro in that area. All I can do is is Google words that start with K and hope for the best. If Winky Von Browneye makes me the maestro of anything, this race is doomed. <laughs> well, I'm not going to dispute you on that. Yeah, so it is what it is. That's what we're calling it. Uh, I think of these things, I never share them with Amanda before I say them. No, no, ew. But ew, just ew. <laughs> all right, sorry about that. But once again, Winky Von Browneye, no justice. No, no peace. <laughs> no peace of Winky <laughs> Von Brown Eye. So, what did you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> I think we've established that, but uh, I believe we have an agenda. So, uh, where do we want to start this uh, fine whatever? Evening. Um, I thought I'd start with it. I've been enjoying many of the fine comic books that I've been reading of late. However, I am distressed in that I will finally actually get into a story only to come slam up against the end of the 20 pages of story actually allowed in the book, and I feel cheated and robbed. Well, yeah, it does feel like comic books are... It doesn't feel like they are shorter than they've ever been. Um, They've done it. Historically, comic books were 24 pages. They sort of jacked them to 22 as they pulled the price up, and this latest, you know, 20 pages of comics is... Pretty standard across at least the big two, which yes. is uh, somewhat distressing. It is. And in, in conjunction with the current style of storytelling that a lot of writers are using, which is this thing called decompressed storytelling. It's writing for the trade. I mean, Which yeah. is writing for the trade. Yeah, they can call it whatever, you know, pretty fucking terms they want. It's, you <laughs> like know, eh. Yvonne. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a pretty term. <laughs> but No. <laughs> um pretty compared to what disorder it might be describing but uh, yeah they can call it whatever pretty terms they want and pretend you know like it's oh no it's a storytelling choice it's uh, no your contract probably and we don't know anybody in comics so i don't know this to be sure but feel feel free to email us if you want to dispute this anybody that's listening to this yeah but it's uh, there's probably some royalty deal on whatever trade paperback comes out so they all write for the trade you know, there's not a storyline you can find almost anywhere that is less than four to six issues. Yes. So you, you drop your three bucks if it's DC and usually four bucks if it's Marvel. Then, you know, get your monthly issue of a book and it's a stutter step story. You know, and we've talked about this uh, you know, in reviews of, God, Ultimate Spider-Man and uh, various different books. But it's... When you're somebody who likes their weekly trip to the comic store to get actual comics, it, it can become frustrating. Yeah, I'm running into this. I just put up a, a review on Justice League Dark, and it's the same sort of issue. Milligan's a great writer, but I feel like they're taking forever to unfold the various plots associated with because there's several characters involved with the story, and it's very hard to when you have an ensemble like that to give them equal sc- screen screen time, yeah. page time in order to act. Accurately tell their stories. Yeah, I mean that one's particularly frustrating for me because Peter Milligan has a long history on writing 
Hellblazer, but more importantly to me, Shade the Changing Man, which was one of my favorite books when I was in college. We're two issues in. I think we've had four pages of Shade, and Shade, its current incarnation, was fundamentally created by Peter Milligan. So it's, okay, yeah, okay, here's the Enchantress, and she's crazy as a shithouse rat, and Okay, here's Zatanna. Is she in fishnet so I can jack off? No, she's just sitting there motionless. She's in a bustier, though. She's in a bustier. That's great, but fucking go somewhere. I mean, it's... Mikkel Janin draws a good bustier, man. (laughs) (laughs) Can't be that good. I'm trying to think of it now, and I'm not getting half a chub, but it's, it's a frustrating way if you're a regular comic book reader, and God knows there are few of us out there these days. But if you're a regular comic book reader, it's frustrating as hell to read some of these stories. Done well, you can do a four- to six-issue storyline that feels somewhat complete within the terms of the particular issue. You know, Bring it up to some kind of, you know, not necessarily cliffhanger, but make it feel like, okay, there were events and they have been wrapped up. The individual events that were part of the story were wrapped up in this particular issue, and here's a tease to what's coming next. Far too many people just think, okay, it's six issues, that means 120 pages, and when I hit 20 pages, uh, we're just sort of done for right now. Yeah, and it becomes that much more frustrating when, you know, DiDio and others are on record, particularly with the 52 reboot, even though this does occur in Marvel and in other books. Uh, where they're saying, oh, you know, we're not going to encourage people to be writing for the trade per se. It doesn't have to be a six-issue arc. If a story can be told in four issues, tell it in four issues. I'm not seeing that yet. Um. <laughs> yeah, almost in none of the new 52. It, I, I don't think in any of the new 52. The, no. the one one and done I can think of from this week's take, uh, which was frustrating in its own way, was uh, have you read the new uh, Astonishing X-Men? I have not yet. Which... I don't have it up here. I read it this morning. Um, it's one with Emma Frost on the cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, Astonishing X-Men was the playground of A-list writers when it first came out. It was Joss Whedon and Warren Ellis. And now, yeah, it was a one and done by some dude I never heard of who apparently is a New York comedian. So, you know, hey, good for you into breaking into comics. We can't all do it, but... It was an okay story, and, you know, it used danger, you know, the incarnation of the danger room with Emma Frost and some of the secret Avengers. Not a bad little story. The guy did okay with it. But on one hand, it's, no, this is where you would give these epic creators a playground. Now it's a place where you put a no-name guy to try shit out, but at least it was, okay, I gave it a shot, and it was not bad, and... Uh, I'll probably read it again when I can remember his name. I can just picture the guy (laughs) finding this. uh, No, my name is... Winky Von Brown Eye. <laughs> I was going to go with Inigo Montoya, but... Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that's the one one and done I can think of uh, in this week's take. Everything yeah. else is, okay, yep, here's page whatever, and don't worry, you can buy the trade, which is probably the future of comics if digital is not. But it's frustrating for those of us who, we're the ones supporting this. We go out every week on Wednesday and grab these books. And well, yeah, and, and it seems... It, It's not just endemic to comic books. Clearly, it's happening in other forms of media. Television comes most prominently to mind. You know, the... the Yeah, writing for the DVD in that case. Yeah, yeah, right. The the length of the average sitcom and and formerly hour-length drama or whatever 
it's gone from like what 44 minutes on those sort of shows to, to 41, 41 or two yeah because they're trying to cram in more ads you know we're we're the sort of individuals that hate commercials <laughs> oh yeah so yeah. you know we actually have technology in place to skip ahead and not actually have to watch the commercials it doesn't but it doesn't um help with the fact that you're losing story elements that you know could have made that story richer you absolutely are and speaking of the goddamn advertisements these books are still 28 or 30 pages if i have to see one more fucking commercial for batman noel Ugh. i would rather be dead than buy that book at this point you've had absolutely the opposite effect the art looks nifty the story okay it's batman as a christmas carol didn't do a lot for me to start with but after two fucking weeks of I hit a cliffhanger, the next page is fucking Batman It's been Noel. more than two weeks. It's been a, a good, solid month of this thing. Because it started when, with the new 52 reboot. I don't remember it going that sure. far back. but I, I, I could be mistaken. It feels like it's been forever, even if it hasn't been forever. You know. <laughs> Also, take with a grain of salt, this is the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I have been drinking a lot of things feel like forever, but... I'm actually sober tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I know, I know. Ruin our Ruining reputation. The Quick, somebody go get me some scotch. But it's... Uh, you know, break it up. Come up with ads for two or three different things. I mean... Well, at the very least, in, and I'm going to be throwing a, a review up on uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Um, you know, they're using the extra pages in the back proactively to do things to promote stuff for that book. There's the whole spread that's in the back with um, a theoretical class list for their their imaginary well, and brochure. And, and to give a little information for people who haven't read the book, it's uh, the theory is that Wolverine... Uh, spoiler starting, alert. Yeah, is starting a, a new Xavier school. Yeah. The Jean Grey Institute for Higher Learning. Yeah, so the whole thing is based on starting up a school, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, describe some of the, the um, back matter. Yeah, so the, some of the back matter gets into the biographies of the instructors of the school and and the course listings and offerings. Um, Rachel Gray apparently has something. Uh, Rachel Gray Summers uh, has something along yeah. the line of, uh, you know, my life as a, as a star jammer <laughs> to teach you outer space uh, survival skills. Yeah, wasn't there something in there, two, two classes taught by Wolverine, how to dissolve a situation without violence and how to dissolve a situation with violence? Actually, it's called, it's like fighting without fighting and fighting with fighting. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, and um, sex ed by Gambit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, because you know you want that. But it's... I mean, Nobody wants to pay more than three dollars for their comics. I'm glad DC has, you know, made their, you know, stand Holding and the hold line at two ninety nine. Yeah, but even when they went to four bucks, it's something that I didn't like paying it, but I could afford. But for a while, they had the backup stories, yeah. so you would get, you know, Manhunter stories and question, question stories. Yeah. You know, just short, four or five page. You know, certainly it would it take... It was like a Booster Gold one before he got his own title. I think so, yeah. But it, it gave, you know, writers a chance to to expand on characters that weren't otherwise utilized. And it was usually a character that was somehow complementary to the title of, of the book that it was supporting. Yeah. And frankly, you could do that with any of these books. Right now, it seems like everybody's just using it for you know, paid fucking ad space. Yeah, again, thank you, DC. I will never fucking buy Batman Noel. But um, 
Yeah, something like in the back of uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. One of the best things about the comics adaptation of Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and which Ed Brubaker does with all his indie stuff like Criminal and uh, the, the <laughs> supervillain who's uh, oh, oh, incognito. Thank you. I always mix it up with... Uh, you know, Irredeemable? Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, he's got his own back matter. He brings in people to write about some of the uh, influences behind the uh, the story. Um, you know, with uh, Incognito is all pulp stuff. Yep. So, you know, here here's somebody just writing about uh, Green Hornet and the Shadow and stuff you've never read before. I've learned more great crime story stuff from his stuff in the back of Criminal where people just write about noir criminal stuff they like. If you're going to have those pages, fucking use them and make it interesting. Yeah. And I guarantee there's almost no writer if you say, man, here's two or three pages. Do a text piece where you just play around. Give me some value for my dollar. Somebody will probably sit down and say, yeah, fuck it. I'll whip out a class list for Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I understand the ads are there in order to keep the prices roughly where they are so that we don't have to pay $10 for these 20 pages. Yeah. But at the same time... Can't we use, can't we use the space a little bit more effectively? Can't we do something? If you want to cram in even more ads, if only so we can have more pages of story. I don't care about that. You know, something. <laughs> See, I don't necessarily agree because in the last two months worth of comics, if I need to hit a story beat that is right in the middle and flip the page. And see another two fucking page spread trying to sell thing. me a goddamn Harley Davidson. Yeah, you don't. If Harley needs to actively sell their bikes, we have, as a race of people in this country, far few low lives that are needed. <laughs> well, and also Marvel. I don't need a two-page spread telling me about your 7.1, 7.2, and oh. 7.3 Fear Itself books. I'm already buying your comic book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if somebody is reading your book, they're a comics fan. You can't accidentally come across comic books anymore. I know so, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I don't give a fuck because Fear Itself wasn't that good. But, you know, <laughs> fine, shill it to me. Just Although now I know why Thor died. <laughs> And I had to buy the Thor book in order to find that out. Well, that's just shitty storytelling. And because they're limited to 20 pages. Yeah, it definitely doesn't help. It helps nobody except, you know, people trying to make money off it. And people at the top of the food chain. And at some point we'll make the argument, you know, and we certainly don't have to talk about it now because we're already 15 minutes into this pig, but... I don't need glossy paper in all my comic books. One of the things I read this month that was really kind of refreshing was Spaceman 1, which they offered for a buck. Oh, that's the Azzarello book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Rizzo, which there is a review up on the site. Um, it's not bad, but one of the cool things, and Vertigo has always kind of done this, it's one of the few places that still uses better than the old days, but just pulp regular paper and not this glossy stuff. Yeah. It's nice to have the glossy in a trade paperback because it's something that you've bought to put on a shelf. But for my comics where I'm reading them and putting them away, I, I don't need the most expensive paper in the world to see it. You know, you're treating these things like loss leaders you can cram advertising and all this other crap into. Fine. Put in cruddy paper. You used to be able to sell these things to me for 40 cents. Yep. Where the biggest advertiser was fucking x-ray specs. Yeah. 
Harley is not paying X-ray specs money. <laughs> You're doing okay with this shit. You know, we don't need the best paper in the world. Certainly don't make it the pulp acid shit. But there are ways you can save money beyond robbing us of story. Yes. And, and forcing me to look at a motorcycle I'll never, never buy. buy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that uh, I, I think we've we've covered that about as, th- as thoroughly as we we could otherwise. Um, I think so. Short of I, I'm I'm this short of screaming, you damn kids, get off my lawn with your <laughs> twenty page stories and your your six page repetitive ad spreads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I understand completely. What else do we have? Um, there was a really interesting link that was put up on Newsarama. Um, oh God, this fucking thing. Yeah, okay. it uh. It was posted on the 28th, so I guess uh, Friday. We'll, we'll put a link to it on uh, on the main site. And uh, for, the, for the past couple of years, there's been a group of individuals. They have a website called Broadcast Thought. Um, they are psychiatrists. Supervillains? No. <laughs> psychiatrists. Um, they are... So they, they are a bunch of psychiatrists. Um, it's Eric Bender. Um... Praveen Kabam, and if I'm destroying any of your names, I'm very sorry. Um, and Vasilis Puzios, um, who who are all involved in the in the medical industry, they have gotten together and they are concerned about the way mental health is portrayed in media, uh, making sure that there there are accurate portrayals of characters who are just diagnosed as having a mental illness. Okay. Which, um, okay, that's good. It's good to have groups that want these things to be portrayed fairly they they have started to uh, target specifically in the past couple of years how characters in comic books who supposedly have mental illnesses are portrayed that's great well they you know they take issue with um, terms like lunatic you wouldn't call somebody a faggot in a comic so why is lunatic okay (laughs) yeah I'll let you think about that. Um, what I would do in a comic is not what most people should do. Um, they, they two years ago at San Diego Comic-Con did a panel in which they talked about mental health of Spider-Man, Batman, and the Hulk um, and came to the conclusion that Batman suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. Due to the death of his his parents, Which that he's not really been working through. I'll I'll buy into that. Yeah, uh, untreated, yeah, you know, with unlimited resources to self medicate with training and whatever. Yeah, okay, I'll buy that. Um, and that Spider Man demonstrates a certain amount of anxiety, due primarily to being able to balance his secret life with his life in the real world with a job and relationships to be fair if somebody chucked pumpkin bombs at my face on a semi-regular basis i would show symptoms of anxiety and and therefore he has some workaholic tendencies alcoholic i'm spider no, no workaholic oh shit i'm not workaholic Spider-Man. fuck okay. um and that that the hulk um separate the issues uh, separation between banner and and the hulk itself aside the hulk itself um demonstrates behavior that is consistent with a character that has a low IQ because they would have impulsive tendencies that they would have difficulty governing and also act out in anger because of an inability to express themselves. 
The Hulk is a seven to nine foot green gamma irradiated monster. All right. What they're saying is <laughs> he's quirky with anger management problems. So oh, quirky okay. smash. <laughs> I'd have watched like goes on <laughs> if Corky smashed more. If Corky smashed anything. So they feel he would benefit from learning anger management strategies and other coping skills. And who's going to teach the Hulk coping skills? <laughs> I They didn't say that. If we had gone to the panel, he might have. <laughs> if the Hulk could cope and calm down, he'd be Banner. I know. And that would be the shittiest comic book in human history. Well, you know, he, he I'm going to count to ten, <laughs> and I'm going to go to my happy place, and then I'm going to be destroyed by the fucking abomination. <laughs> well, if you think about it, um, when... Strong banner. Strong <laughs> banner. Oh, God! When you when you think about it, though, when the Hulk was blasted into outer space by Stark and Reed Richards and everybody, and he found himself on, on that planet where he got to be a warlord eventually, he was a lot calmer. Well, he was a lot calmer, but he also wasn't displaying classic low IQ, no coping mechanism skills yeah, I mean, like well, they're talking about. And that's something in my review of Hulk 1 we talk about. The Hulk is whatever the fuck you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. Days. And it, it certainly doesn't apply to Grey Hulk. Right. Um, or Red Hulk. The uh, part of the issue with this is always going to be these are fictional characters. And, and they make the point, too, uh, particularly around the villains, that uh, because the characters are mission-driven, due to the n- nature of needing a plot for the damn story, Yeah. Um, you can't really attribute, uh, you can't really accurately hang the kind of symptoms that you would typically on the characters to make the mental health portrayal accurate well wait a minute what do they want what villains are they talking about well actually they they did commend jeff johns for his portrayal of starman as a schizophrenic insofar as it was something that he was managing with therapy within his own life but he had other things going on as well and he was also wacky and funny to fucking listen to and he wasn't a super villain now what super villains are they complaining about? uh well specifically they named the joker um, Are you fucking kidding me? What's their problem with the <laughs> Joker being diagnosed as apeshit fucking insane? <laughs> well, one, um, part of the issue is that many of the characters in the Batman storylines are housed at Arkham Asylum. Because they're fucking crazy. And the asylum in and of itself does not um, portray accurately what a mental health facility would look like in the 21st century or the 20th century when it was first introduced in 1974. Um, <laughs> secondly, um, the thing's called Arkham after a Lovecraft story. W- what do you want? Nice padded cells and something beyond a hole in the floor to pee into? As an individual who does not work in the, the mental health facility uh, world, I, I can't accurately speak to this. However, part of the issue also is that the Joker would not actually qualify as insane and <laughs> would not be housed there after a trial or maybe even before a trial because he is often described as psychotic, but that's an inaccurate description of what his what's going on in his head. He's actually a psychopath. One syllable difference. Okay. Someone who is psychotic would actually um, demonstrate... Um, voices in their head, perhaps, or hallucinations, erratic behavior. Well, okay, okay. Whereas a psychopath is an individual who knows the difference between right and wrong, 
and chooses to disregard it if they want to because they lack empathy. Okay. First of all, the only portrayal of what's going on in the Joker's head that I can think of right off the top of my head is in The Killing Joke where he flat out remembers his past differently every single time. I mean, doesn't that seem like a a lack of memory and inability to deal with your history might have some form of diagnosis? I left my DSM-4 downstairs with my booze and drugs. Well, I'm not a doctor. Not even in Uganda. (laughs) (laughs) That's a shame, because that's an easy racket. However, um... You know, it's. I think it's it's a it's a rough rough call. I mean, even if you think about somebody and they don't mention this per se, in their their article, and I, they did come back this past year to San Diego, and we we didn't make the the panel. Uh, they talked about this a little bit more in depth, specific to the villains at the panel. But um, you know, if you consider a character like say Lex Luthor, who is C- CEO of several companies, vast holdings, sure, clearly a villain. You can be a psychopath and and function in society without the need for medication because you don't necessarily have comorbid disorders like bipolar or depression going on with with your psych- uh, psycho psychopathy psychopathy <laughs> psychopathy. Thank you. Okay. Um, and and like four percent of CEOs in the real world actually can be diagnosed as psychopaths. I've worked at a lot of companies and it's probably more than four percent. Read 4%. that on. I read that on Forbes. It came out with that book. The Psychopaths Among Us or whatever that was a few uh, months ago. Psychopath Test. Psychopath Test. Thank you. But, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, let's take a step back and recognize this is a comic book story about people with bleached skin and green hair. And when these characters, when many of them were conceived of, comic books were still a medium for children and it was probably somewhat comforting to say oh no this guy doing all this stuff he's not just a criminal he's completely insane and most people would not do that and there is the day-to-day definition of insane that the layman has such as say well insanity is a legal term it is not a medical term well yeah and i'm firmly aware that Insanity, as far as the courts are concerned in the real world, is all based on the McNaughton rule, which is you cannot know the difference between right and wrong. In order to be declared insane. Right. At the same time, I also recognize in the real world, let's say there's a real joker, a dude with a bleached face who commits those crimes. You put them in front of a jury? They may well say insanity. They may also well say, no, fuck him put him on death row but no that's it's well i have i actually have the from the article this is on uh, the huffington post um back in july when they were getting ready for this latest round of of publicity for their new panel at san diego um <clears throat> in the real world only one percent of criminal criminal cases plead not guilty by reason of insanity and only 20 percent of those one percent are successful so that that presumes jury trials in there yeah so in the real world arkham asylum would probably be somewhat empty i'd be willing to say two-face would be in there yeah well i mean i flipped my coin it told me to kill that guy the coin said to do it that probably meets the mcnaughton rule that probably does um and they actually they took issue with with two-face um less because of um mentally 
ill behavior and more that it was incorrectly labeled. He's often termed schizophrenic in the Batman books. Grant Morrison is on record as saying he embodies schizophrenia. And, well, and that's, that's, not, that's not accurate because he's got a multiple personality disorder. And Joe Blow thinks schizophrenia is multiple personality disorder. Well, I did too in eighth grade. Well, yeah, and it's, <laughs> it, it's a comic book, not fucking Russian literature. No, and, and I, I agree. And, and I guess um, while I, I don't think they're necessarily wrong, I think it can only help the storytelling um, an author puts forth to be accurate in your portrayal. At the same time, these are fictional characters, and while we should be sensitive to individuals who are suffering from a mental disorder, to we have to keep in mind that the story is going to need to come first in a lot of cases. And, and it, something needs to be mission-driven for the sake of the plot, then sometimes you're going to get some details wrong. Yeah, and fine. If you want to take a big step back, Arkham Asylum is not the oldest creation. It's relatively new, 1970s. You could do the same stories with Blackgate Prison. You could. And not stick everybody into them. Well, I was wondering where, where Bell Reeve fell in this. You know, I, I hope these guys come back next year to San Diego because I'm going to try to make an effort to actually go to their panel. <laughs> yeah, well, we did try this year, but uh, uh, it was happy hour. It was. So, <laughs> there are certain characters, I, I would argue with them tooth and nail, uh, Clayface, there's a classic Alan Moore story where Clayface firmly believed that a mannequin was in love with him and he was performing actions based on that. Clayface has other issues in addition to his mental well, state. Well, also he's made of fucking dirt. <laughs> yes. But are you going to sit Killer Croc down with a psychiatrist? And we saw that in an old issue of Swamp Thing, yeah. and Batman had to come in and nerve-gas him to stop him. Yeah, you know, well, I think also, especially as um, these stories in the DC universe are shifting more away from the idea of a villain or a supervillain and into this idea of meta-human, because they can't use mutant. The other house is using that term. Right. You know, with with someone who is meta-human or post-human, do the same rules of of psychiatry apply? Do their brains work the same? Can we expect the same level of... Of, of behavior, the same acceptance of typical societal norms regarding behavior. Yeah, and it, you can use whatever terminology you want. And frankly, you could get around, I think, every argument they're making by ripping out the words psycho and schizo and, fine, here's the diagnosis we think they have and recognizing that in the real world juries will do whatever they want yeah and there are times when juries you know john hinckley pure case in point they just decide yeah this guy must be fucking crazy and send him away you know let's assume for a storytelling point just brainstorming gotham city is in massachusetts where there is no death penalty and you're on a jury where the Joker is there, and he's eligible for life but could get parole. Or you can say he's crazy, and they'll slap him in Bridgewater for the rest of his goddamn natural-born life. What would you do? And it might calm them down to say, fine, the Joker has sociopathic tendencies. I'd find a way, to try, to, I'd find a way to try it as a federal case so he'd get the death penalty. <laughs> well, yeah, and that may happen eventually, and all he needs to do is, you know, drag some girl who looks like a doll or something across state lines. But 
if their biggest issue is the terminology, we can get around that. And frankly, it might make the story seem smarter. But And you've read more on these guys than I have. If their issue is, oh, no, we don't want these people to be seen as insane, we saw well, how they, that they works want... out even in the goddamn stories with Dr. Bartholomew Wolper, yeah. who let the Joker out to be on the David Letterman <laughs> show and killed 46 people in The Dark Knight Returns. Um, yes, which I've, I've recently started rereading. Um, it's in the bathroom. But <laughs> the... Uh, their issue, and again, I don't think they're they're wrong. It just is going to require taking a smarter approach to how you write a story. Is um, if you're going to decide that a character has a mental illness that is driving their behavior, be accurate in how you're using it in among your story beats, and remember that the mental illness is not the core defining characteristic of the character. They have other shit going on in their life. Well, see, I don't agree with that. The Joker is the Joker. And these guys... The Joker guys very rarely has any other shit going on in his life. We don't know where... He, I mean, the, in the Moore story where he, he has multiple versions of how he got to being where he got to be, you know, that that's rare. It, his origins have been up for dispute for decades. Sure. Um, and in the story, he, he never really has any overarching ambition other than this is this thing i'm going to do right now because it seems like a good idea at the time and i'm bored yeah but you know what all you need to do For the lulls you know <laughs> all you need to do and if you're writing one of these stories you take what the character is and you grab the dsm4 and you figure out what matches yeah and not everything has to match um they point out that for example with the diagnosis they gave batman of post-traumatic stress disorder um, he still will visit Crime Alley and and pay tribute to his parents. And one of one of the did um, it in Arkham City yesterday. <laughs> it was fucking awesome, and I got five gamer points. Good for you. Well, but um, one of the um, symptoms often for PTSD is that you will avoid the area in which a trauma happened because it will trigger these feelings. And he doesn't do that. So you can have a disorder, as long as most of the things that demonstrate that you have the disorder are present, not all have to be present. Well, uh, nobody's saying Batman has a diagnosis. I if he was in the real world with somebody, yes, they would. I think where most of this has to be wrapped up, has to be wrapped up with their complaints, is in villains where people say they're crazy and they're psycho and well, yeah what i'm saying is fine if they have an issue with the terminology let the writer say fine two faces two face let me look at the dsm4 which if anybody's had a psychology class in college you've looked at it's not that hard to go through find out what matches plug that term in for psycho and change nothing else oh one of my if favorite games is to go wait, through the dsm4 not, sorry god <laughs> damn it <laughs> I just turned into my father for a second. <laughs> I apologize. But uh, if what they're suggesting is saying, fine, if you decide that Two-Face has multiple personality disorder, you should write him based on the diagnosis. That's bullshit, and these people should shut the fuck up. If their problem is the terminology, fine. I'd say comic writers can work with it. But if they want characters changed based on what they think is fair... There is no fair I, to the Joker. I He's don't think a fictional it's about, douche. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to speak for them. I don't think it's about fair. I think it's about accurate portrayal. The accurate terminology and accurate portrayal. And they're not going to get accurate portrayal. These are characters that have been around for 70 years. 
you want a terminology that matches kind of, sort of, what they're doing so people understand there's a diagnosis behind it, that's fine. But if these guys are saying, you should modify the Joker to be more like this diagnosis, I say they fuck off. Okay. And now, look, I think you. I think it's perfectly valid to take either side of, of the argument. I understand where they're coming from, but as a comic fan, I also understand where you're coming from. You know, one of my favorite characters is Harley Quinn. And actually, I kind of really buy into to what has been developed for her through Paul Dini. I mean, to be a psychiatrist and, and to take the really unprofessional step of falling in love with this patient that you can't figure out, um, who is a constant puzzle and who, who, whose head you can't get into, and, and to sort of become unhinged on your own from there, I think that's a really compelling story. It's a great story. But if you then want to say, well, wait, hold on, what's the mental illness? And, oh, I can't find one that matches it. That's not a good story. Or, oh, I found this one that you could sort of think around, so let me twist around. But, you know, the other uh, symptom of this diagnosis is chronic bedwetting and Winky Von Brown eye. <laughs> Fuck that. Ultimately, I think you, you need to write the characters to be the characters and avoid labels, you know, avoid labels. The first man who says we should say the Joker isn't insane because of the DSM-4, uh, I'll fight him. Okay. The Joker is crazy. <laughs> the Joker needs to be locked up in an asylum because that's what the character and the story in this universe with flying people need. Okay. Uh, one final thought, and here, and you you can consider this um, and, and, and or answer it. What do you say to a 16-year-old boy who has been developed, who has been d diagnosed with um, a psychiatric disorder, such as schizophrenia, which is, you know, in the psychotic sphere of disorders, who then says to his doctor, "Sir, does this mean I'm going to grow up to be a serial killer?" Because this is how schizophrenics have been portrayed in media. Well, <laughs> it, you say no. And you give him his pills. I mean, but then don't you want there to be source material that he can read, such as more books like Starman, where you can see that it's, it's something that people just deal with. If you want... <laughs> if we're calming down potential psychotics with comic books, I don't think that's necessarily a good place to start. What? what you don't want to print your own fucking pamphlet? <laughs> You're psychotic. Here's what you can expect. I mean, Jesus, I got a pamphlet about my wang when I was 13. I didn't need to see it in Spider-Man. It's it's not just comic books. If you want to say uh, everybody should treat crazy people better, you know, fine. But I, I don't necessarily have a response to it. The world is an unfair fucking place. You know, one guy reads Joker, sees Psycho, finds out he's psychotic thinks he might be the Joker, tell him he's not. And if he tries to act like it, hit him with the taser. <laughs> what the fuck do you want from me? All right, then. Better better living through use of a taser. Exactly. And medication. Exactly. All right, we've been, we've been going on about this for a healthy chunk of time. We're coming up on about 40 minutes in this uh, podcast. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, um, let's talk about some books. All right, you want to do uh, one book a piece? You, you we'll go do one book a piece. I've been um, ranting for quite a while at this point. All right, uh, you know what? <laughs> Perhaps not ironically... The book I wanted to talk about this week was Deadpool number 45. <laughs> now, now. 
Describe his diagnosis, this man who can't die. Wade Wilson's diagnosis is cancer. Is batshit crazy. <laughs> is cancer. And um, batshit cancer crazy. And he may also be psychotic. He hears voices. And Winky Von Brown. I don't think he has that. Um, however, <laughs> and again, I am not a doctor. Um, this is by Daniel Way uh, with art by Salva Espin. And it's um, the beginning of a new arc. Deadpool, in the previous issues, wrapped up um, a stint in England where he was thrown in a British prison, a psychiatric ward of a prison, Aha! Um, wherein his psychiatrist fell in love with him. <laughs> what was her diagnosis? I don't know. Batshit crazy. <laughs> exactly. And uh, she uh, stalked him and wanted to delay him. Um, she also was collecting, because he, he regenerates, he has this healing factor. Yeah. Um, so whenever, like, an arm or something falls off, eventually he grows it back. She would collect these and keep them in her fridge. Sounds like a good way to get syphilis, but okay. <laughs> I like this girl. She sounds like she'd be fun at a party. Um, <laughs> and uh, so he is kind of grossed out by this and, and dumped them all, and they sort of morphed together and have become this sort of evil doppelganger of Deadpool. Okay. Um, who is also psychotic. <laughs> is that your final answer? Because we'll have people picketing outside probably, the home office. Probably. Um, and so basically what's going to kick off here is Deadpool is eventually going to, to run into evil Deadpool and, and throw down. So um, I'm kind of curious to see where this is going to go. It, it involves the same um, great humor that uh, Way has brought to the character for a long time now. Um, his, his voices in his head are fun. They're insane. They tell him to do things that are questionable, but they're fun. Yeah, you know what? Uh, in the wake of Deadpool coming out as its own title after uh, Civil War, um, the core Deadpool title, and hundreds of them it seems like have come out, has always been fun. I think Way's been on it the entire time. Yeah. Uh, has always done good, fun writing on it. So I'm still enjoying that. And I dropped a lot of Deadpool because it just felt like, oh, you're buying one? Buy seven of them, and then buy a fucking Harley Davidson in the middle of it. But. Yeah, so um, that's my recommendation for this week, is if you if you haven't, for some reason, uh, jumped into the Deadpool pool, um, by all means, you can uh, jump on here in issue 45 with this new arc and, 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 and enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a fun read. He's a fun character, and I, I, I'm not burnt out on him yet, although I, I have scaled back my Deadpool titles. Yeah. Yeah, it's because uh, again, that, that's the best one. The others, yeah. so uh, I'll do briefly one and talk in more detail about another uh, one that uh, I enjoyed. Which, uh, since it's not a big two, you may or may not have picked up. It's an issue zero from Aspen Comics called "Dead Man's Run" by Greg Pak with art by Tony Parker. And the theory behind it, as it goes in, and again, this is an issue zero, so it's not the longest, and it's just sort of a playing with the. Uh, with the concept of what it's going to be behind, what it's going to be uh, behind it is there is a prison in the middle of nowhere, and under the main level of the prison is hell, and there is a an ongoing jailbreak from hell, which, as a setup and how they set up some of the characters who look to be heroic and maybe were not and were doing things they shouldn't have been, was really kind of interesting. Well worth uh, the the two fifty. A, a zero issue on glossy paper. So Dead Man's Run uh, by Aspen uh, was a pretty good one. And the goddamn sleeper that I did not expect to like <laughs> as much as I liked, 
was Amazing Spider-Man 762, the official part six of Spider Island, which I've been coming in and out of. Spider-Man's on my poll, so I've been reading the main stuff. Uh, this last issue, with the way it played out and sort of a final crossover issue of everything coming together and guest stars and new heroes and different costumes and all that shit was there. There was more heart and interesting shit in this than 15 fear itself, seven point, whatever it was. Wow. There were moments at the end of it between Peter Parker and Mary Jane and this last battle that really kind of got to me. There was a lot of heart to this issue if you've read No Spider Island, I wouldn't say go out and grab it. Is it still Dan Slott? It is, um, with a Humberto Ramos art, and his art is not my favorite, but it's perfectly serviceable. I've yeah. seen enough of it over the years that I, when I first saw his art, it's like, manga, fuck you. <laughs> but uh, I've sort of gotten used to it, and I've gotten so it's not my favorite. I'll never buy it at Artist Alley, but it, it certainly worked for this story, and... Yeah, I mean, for the first time in this entire arc, it, pick up the trade when it comes out if you haven't been reading it, because the way it ends is well worth you know, everything you went through across 15 different books. Wow, and I'm going to have to read this now. It was actually a solid closing. It was everything Fear Itself should have been, and all the same elements were there. You know, hero with new costume, check. Crossover with various different heroes, check. Giant battle between giant monsters all of it was there and executed so goddamn much better than fear itself seven so yeah uh, god help me i've mocked it a lot over the life of crisis on infinite midlives but yeah the end of spider island worth the cost of admission good job dan slot good job <laughs> i'm still not pulling the contract off him he's dead if i see <laughs> no it's not true nah. not entirely true we love you dan slot so that brings us, I think, to the end of, of Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. That's right. Uh, episode six. Six, uh, the justice of Winky Von Brown High. Lord. All right. And, Don't uh, bring God into this. <laughs> it's too fucking late. So uh, thank you for joining us and, and listening to us rant about things this evening. Yep. And uh, please come back and see us. Uh, drop us an email or comments if you would like. And have a great evening. Yep. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Uh, thanks for joining in. And uh, derp. Derp. <laughs>